can't really sing. <laughs> yeah. La 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 la. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the SBNY podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. If you have not done so already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can find that by going to sportsblognewyork.com, clicking the podcast tab, and clicking on any of the articles, which can link you directly to iTunes. Or you can simply search in the podcast center, Sports Blog New York Podcast, and subscribe, rate, and review if you like what you've been hearing. We appreciate every listener, and we have a great show planned today. Joined with me, we have a very special guest, which I would get into in just a moment. But first, can't forget about the co-founder of SportsBlogNewYork.com. We got Phil DeMeo in the house as well. I'm not the special guest. You're a special guest, okay. but you're not the special guest. How you doing, Phil? Good. How are you? That other special guest is not just a former college basketball player, not just a Division One college basketball player, but a guy who played on a perhaps the, one of the most famous teams in the last decade of college basketball in the NCAA tournament. His name is Steve Rossiter. He was a forward for Davidson College when they made their legendary run into the Elite Eight. Steve, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. How's it going? Good, man. Happy to be here. Yes. Thanks, thanks for having me. Oh. It's scary when you said a decade because I just realized that that was nine years ago. So, yes, you made time that run by. in 2008. Now, it doesn't feel like that long ago, does it? Or does it feel like a long time now already? Uh, I don't know because I've, I've been down uh, living in Davidson a little bit. So, I've, I've stayed around the program and I've helped out with the sports marketing. So, I've been around it. So, it's not like I'm that far removed. Um, but I guess, I guess a lot has happened since then. So, well, if it makes you feel better, it doesn't feel that long ago for me either. And, uh, funny story here. I actually just mentioned to you before this, you didn't even know beforehand. Well, one of your relatives was my baseball coach back in the day. And I remember during that run, him, uh, skipping out of practice to watch you and your brother, who was also an NCAA tournament member for Siena. Uh, that same year, and he was skipping out to watch his uh, his nephew. His yeah, nephew. nephews, yeah. So that that was really cool. I remember watching that tournament, and obviously it was one of the most famous tournaments in in recent history with your one of your teammates, Steph Curry, who became a transcendent member of college history, basically with that tournament run that you guys went on. Uh, but we're, we'll get into that in just a moment. First, I want to get into kind of your background and how you got to Davidson. So you're a New York guy, but how did you end up down in the South playing for Davidson College? Yeah, so I did the typical thing that uh, typical stuff most high school guys did. I played AAU, and uh, you know I wasn't very heavily recruited at all, really. I was just Division two and Division three mostly. Uh, then that that junior year summer, when you go from junior senior year, is the big AAU summer for guys. And I started to play a little bit better, get a little bit better. And uh, there's a guy uh, that a lot of people might know, Tom Konchalski, is one of the great uh, basketball names and great great people. Uh, he's based out of New York and he's been doing it forever. He saw me play. I got to know him a little bit and, uh, he's the one that first called my coach, uh, Bob McKillop, called him a Davidson, told him that, uh, he should take a look at me. And, uh, so I got off the phone actually one day with Tom Kachowski and he said, coach McKillop's going to call you this afternoon. So I, I spoke to coach McKillop for the first time ever. And, uh, he was different from other coaches because he was very honest right away he told me that uh he he liked what he saw from me he liked what he heard about me but he already had a few guys in front of me that they already offered scholarships and you know if they commit then he can't take me he can't even talk to me anymore because there's really no reason to so I really like that honesty up front it's something that I hadn't really experienced yet and I'm sure that's something that as a young man it's a little hard to hear but at the same time 
you kind of have to respect it and you appreciate it. Now, obviously, you ended up going there despite that. So I guess maybe the, the, you were the you were the guy for him anyway. Yeah, I guess a couple guys said no, and um, I had a very good senior season compared to you know I got a lot better from from how I've been playing. And I was actually I would say it was one of my worst games ever in high school or at least my senior year of high school that Coach McKillop came to watch me play. And I had like four fouls in the first half, something Oof. crazy, like two points. And he actually offered me a scholarship that day because he said he liked everything else that I had done in terms of uh, how I was as a teammate and all the intangibles and stuff. So you never know, I guess. I mean, of course. it really was probably my worst game that year. And, and he was impressed enough with everything else. I mean, it just goes to show. And if you're a young, a young man trying to play college sports or, or even go further – uh, these coaches, they know what they're looking for. They know body language is really important. They know how a young man carries himself the whole nine. It's more than just what you do on the court time to time. They need strong character. So good for you that you showed that and you got the chance to play. Uh, now, unfortunately, you suffered a little injury in your freshman year. So you were a redshirt of sorts. But let's skip even that yeah. that, that pseudo-freshman year, a redshirt freshman year, and we'll go to the 2007-2008 season, the year you guys made the tournament as a 10 seed and then made an Elite Eight run. When at one point at one point in the season did you look around that locker room, see your teammates, see some of the guys on the team, see how you were playing, and think to yourselves, "This is a really good team. We can make a legit run and make some noise in this tournament, or even make the tournament to begin with." Yeah, well, it's uh, it's interesting how it happened because we started out the year four and six, and uh, we lost to a couple a couple average teams. We lost like a Western Michigan. They were they were a very good team that year. But it was a team that if, if we were playing as well as we were at the end of the season, we would have definitely would have been a different story. But four and six, uh, heading into Christmas break, and there was kind of it was very disappointing because we had high expectations. We knew we had a strong team. The year before we we made the tournament, we played Maryland tough. Uh, we lost to them in the first round. We played them tough, and we only lost two uh, senior walk-ons. So they didn't play significant minutes at all. So we had the entire team coming back. Um, very high expectations. We had a very tough schedule. We played uh, U- uh, UNC to start the season, who was ranked number one. Played Duke. Played UCLA. Um, yeah, those are those are three, yeah, we went those out, are three real was, schools you just named yeah, right there. There's, there's a couple more that I'm forgetting right now, but four and six have started. So, But from that point on, we got back from Christmas and had just the worst, most insane like boot camp practices for like a week straight. So we got about three days probably for Christmas. Went back. We had a week before we played, and he absolutely killed us. He broke us down basically like it was training camp, and we just went hard that whole week, and we got back on track, and we and we won every game up until that Kansas loss. Oh, wow. So, so, on a big so you went from four and six, ran yeah. the table on the season. Yep. And then ran the t- table in your tournament, your uh, conference tournament. Yeah. Went into the to the NCAA tournament as a ten seed, still taking on Gonzaga, which you know at the time, you know nine years ago, they were more of a mid major than they are now, right? So sure. they weren't quite as known as they are now. They weren't a one seed like they are in this year's tournament. Uh, and again, we're going to get into the rest of the tournament much later on. We're going to bring in Joe Calabrese, who was with us last week. But we're going to stick to to that run because it was, it was such a great run, and obviously you lived it. You're going to be able to put some perspective on you know, the South Carolinas of this tournament or the Xaviers of this tournament, who are those lower seeds who are making that run. Um, so you took on Gonzaga. as a, They were 7, you were 10, beat them. Was that a moment that you guys didn't think could happen already, or was that one expected and then the rest of it was uphill? Um, 
I don't know. Like I, I think at that point we we had very high confidence, and we were ready to play. And uh, one thing is interesting too. I think because back then we were in the Southern Conference, so the Southern Conference is, or at the time was was very uh, as a low major, probably one of the bottom five or six conferences in the country. So we we dominated the conference. Like we said, we ran the table, but we were winning games by thirty points. 40 points sometimes. And so it's, it's tough when you go from that, the next game is a team like Gonzaga. It's, it's just a different story. It's a new level. And we hadn't played a team like that with the last, the last team we played outside of the SOCON was I think NC state right before Christmas. So going on a couple months where we hadn't played anybody outside of the Southern conference is a huge jump. Um, but like I said, what we did for Christmas break in terms of practice, we did the same thing leading up to the NCAA tournament, because when you play, in the Southern Conference or some of these lower conferences, the conference tournament is a week earlier. So you have the extra week of preparation before the NCAA tournament. So my, uh, my coach, once again, kind of broke us down from the beginning. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to the, going dancing, like, let's just hang out. Right. It was brutal. And he killed us. But it, it, it works. It got us ready to play. It kind of got us back uh, to the basics. And um, that really helped us against Gonzaga. And I think looking back, I think we had – we had an incredible team, and we had an incredible team defense. But then when you add in Steph Curry, it changes, <laughs> changes everything. So uh, I th- our team was so good, you know, for a mid-low major. But then when you add him, it, it was just allowed us to do what we did. Yeah, so he was one of the most transcendent players, obviously, in that whole tournament. And that's a tournament that included the likes of a Memphis-Kansas finals with Derrick Rose, who was a future MVP before Steph was even an MVP, and Steph yeah. was still battling injuries in the NBA. But we'll get into that uh, regarding Steph and your relationship with him in just a little bit, and we'll stick to this run. So how much did it help you? Like you mentioned you had that week off where you guys prepped hard for Gonzaga. Then you take down Gonzaga, you take on number two Georgetown in the next round. How much did playing UNC and Duke and those types of teams in the beginning of the year have an effect on playing a team like Georgetown and then Wisconsin in the next round? Or was it so far removed that it didn't even matter and it was all about that prep that you put in the work after you had that uh, conference title? Uh, definitely both, but the schedule is is one of those things that my coach was very focused on. Every every year he tries to do stuff like that. So even things like um, he would he would play, if we can get into a three-game Christmas tournament or a three-game preseason tournament just to get you ready for the conference tournament. So he's a master at that. So the schedule absolutely helped us. And we played UCLA, uh, who was probably, I don't know at the time, but they were probably right. I think they were ranked top five. We flew out to California uh, right after final exams. It was brutal. Like Davidson is, is a very, very challenging school. And there's really no different treatment for athletes. Yeah, I was going to say, that must be different than being at, say, uh, Kentucky. Yeah. You know, where basketball is probably the biggest thing the school has to offer. Davidson is a legitimate academic powerhouse. You know, they're a good school. So that, that's probably a different strat. Like, what you guys have to go through is different than most college players, too. So, so do you think Kansas or Kentucky, like, their dorms are like mansions? Do you have any experience with that? Have you just been no, a dorm? Just that, like, that's actually, you been next to me? Like, you have been... Yeah, anything? well, that that's actually one thing I loved about Davidson was... That and I, I was never good enough to even, be, you know, consider going to a place where the athletes or the basketball players are so isolated. Mm-hmm. But my my personality and a lot of, a lot of my teammates and uh, Davis and friends like had the same mentality. Like we really liked like we were just regular we were student, students. Yeah. yeah, and it was you were it was just awesome. a little, you were just a little bit taller. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Again, so we didn't do but, anything differently. Um, but that that's where it's tough because 
like I remember actually I had an astronomy paper that was just literally just kicking my ass and I had to submit it by uh, like 8 a.m. and we had like a noon flight. So I was up the entire night, uh, handed in the paper, had to go straight to the gym, go to the airport, and then we played UCLA the next night. And that was Kevin Love, Russell yeah. Westbrook, Luke. Did you uh, did you body up Kevin Love a little bit? That dude, he's probably the strongest guy I've ever played against. Really, he was bad. That's when he was fat, Kevin Love. Yeah, he was he was big dog, Kevin Love. Big boy, and he he, was like looked like he was balding, but yeah, but he was also (laughs) so skilled at that point. He was all close to wasn't with on the wing. He didn't have that three point game. But yeah, so back to your original question. I just have one question now. Yeah, yeah. When you said like you're one of the regular students, correct me if I'm wrong, but that gives you like the school better feeling to. you, they rally around you because you're one of them. You're not like yeah. his entitled athlete who's like living by himself and Definitely. his classes are being you know, whatever the classes are going to be done for them. But like yeah, you're that, one of your regular students, so maybe your whole school just move you a little more. Exactly, and that that was actually one of the coolest things. Um, it's a small school too; it's only about two thousand students. Oh, wow! And so one of the coolest things that the school did for us was when we played. I guess we'll get to the Sweet Sixteen Elite Eight, but when we played in Detroit. Mm-hmm. The school paid for every student that wanted to go to Boston Hotel to wow. go to Detroit from North oh, Carolina. Oh, that's awesome. That's, so, a, that's a far trip, yeah. Yeah, and that's <laughs> kind of exactly what we're talking about is like, you know, when we looked into the crowd, like, it's, really it's our, yeah. yeah, it's our familiar with your friends. friends. Yeah. Exactly. So awesome. it was so cool and such an awesome move by the school. And again, we're here with Steve Rossiter, Davidson forward on that very memorable Elite Eight Davidson team. Uh, so let's talk about some of the games. So you just mentioned you played against Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook after writing an astronomy paper all yeah. night, pulling an all-nighter. Who were some of the players in that tournament, whether it be on Kansas or Wisconsin or Georgetown, Gonzaga? Who were some of those players that you remember playing against and then you see them move on to the next level or into future rounds and just be like, we played right with those guys and we, we could have beat Kansas. We lost by two points. We beat Wisconsin. We beat Georgetown. What were, what were those game in-game experiences like? Uh, in-game is kind of different because in-game you're really, I think, just focused on, on doing your job and whatever the game plan is and, and um, kind of just trying to be in the moment and, and all that stuff, and you really don't think about it. But I would say, like, we so we, we beat Georgetown, or excuse me, beat Gonzaga, beat Georgetown, beat Wisconsin, and that, that pre-game scout film that we watched on Kansas was the first time that, like, when we went through the player personnel on film – was the first time that I kind of stopped and I was like oh shit like these guys are legit like these guys are all American like freak athletes they go into the league huge yeah. yeah so that's the first time I kind of like when I thought about it and I don't know if it was just like kind of the like if there was just external like media just thinking about everything and being the elite eight um but that's like the first time I kind of stopped but like once the game started Everything all was, business. Yeah, so it was, like was the media experience. How about your first time ever experienced something like that? Like, did it affect you guys? Like, was the don't show of your game, your uh, routine? Nah, nah. Kind of you get sheltered away from it, kind of. Because especially like we're talking two thousand eight. Yeah, social it's, media it's, wasn't it's, really yeah. a thing, and or as you know, like anything close to what it is now. And college is different too, because or at least back then, because they were much more kind of restrictive about stuff and it was just very okay. set up press conferences where it's like before practice you have maybe your best player and the coach and the captain or whoever mm-hmm. and they were really the only ones getting interviewed and, and there's just a small window so okay. it's, it wasn't like anything crazy like that yeah. it's weird it was like nine years ago it's such a different world yeah oh my god it really is i mean if you even look back at 
Obviously, LeBron, LeBron James, and that whole draft class is even much older. They were drafted in oh four, oh five, right? Well, like, well, they were drafted oh three. Their first season yeah. was oh four. If you watch their highlights from their rookie years, it's like HD TV hardly was a thing yeah, back yeah, then. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy to think about because now LeBron James and Dwayne Wade are on Snapchat, Snapchat, and yeah. their flights to here and there. But you really you look back to you know fifteen years ago, it's a different world. And yeah. even even nine years ago, when you were in the tournament, different world than today. Yeah, it's nuts. Uh, but let's talk about that one teammate you had. I forget his name. Um, but he, he kind of took over the tournament. He was one of the most famous players in that tournament. Um, you made a name, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll say it again if you guys didn't know who I'm talking about. We're talking about Steph Curry here. Played for Davidson. Teammate of who our guest right now, Steve Rossiter. Uh, so you knew him all season. You knew him before the hype was super real. Obviously, you know people knew that his father played in the league. People knew he was a pretty good shooter. He had a little bit of hype around him. When did you, as a teammate and somebody who's really close to him, start feeling like this guy is kind of transcending the entire tournament? Uh, well, if you felt it at all, you know, because you're as it was happening, you're in you're in mean business, like you said before. So just talk about that. I would say as it, as it was happening, you start to feel it a little bit. But uh, I mean, I would never, and I don't think anyone would say they could predict what he's doing nowadays. And if they did, they're completely lying. He wouldn't even say that. 100%. So, but back then, I mean, when it was happening, um, I guess after the first weekend, kind of reflect on it and think about it, and, and you could tell that the hype was was really growing. It and was building. brewing up. Um, and one of the cool things, actually, was when, when you're the underdog in the tournament, you pretty much everyone roots for you except for the school you're playing. <laughs> so when we played uh, that first weekend in Raleigh, which is only about – two hours from Davidson. Uh, UNC was playing that weekend too. And they played the game after us. So it was really cool because they they travel so well and they're such a huge alumni base and fan base that I would say 90% of the crowd was UNC. So And UNC is five, probably five minutes from where, where the games were being played. Wow. So when we played before them, uh, they were just loving – Steph and loving Davidson, and we had like a home court advantage in a sense. Cause it's not like you so guys cool. are specific rivals right, of UNC, nah, but we they know been, who you are. They exactly. know it's a local school. They see you guys playing well, yeah. and all of a sudden you have a, a huge crowd up behind you guys. Right, exactly. So that was really cool, and 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 Steph was just playing so well and, and hitting so many clutch shots, and uh, it was it was just like the crowd was getting into it. It was just really cool. As it was happening, you kind of feed off of it, but. And, and if you looked at the rest of our team, I mean, looking at us compared to looking at, like, a Georgetown's team or even Gonzaga's team, like, guys like me, like, just very average-looking, skinny guys that... I mean, you know, you give yourself some credit. You're not just, like, you're you're, you're a big dude. <laughs> I mean, I, was, I took charges, set screens. So, yeah. like, that was the type of guys we had on the team. We, we played played our asses off, played as hard as we could. But, um, it's like, yeah, they, they would root for the scrappy underdog. And then Steph was just that exciting to watch that it was... Uh, kind of really built the hype as we went on. Yeah, and you were the second leading rebounder on the team, uh, especially in your senior year. You were one of the enforcers on down low. Um, so you're busy boxing people out, trying to get an offensive rebound. Did you have a time during that tournament to kind of appreciate the whole atmosphere of you playing in the NCAA tournament, of you having someone who is now going to be a top pick on your team that you know, you know Steph Curry, the guy, the person, the man, and now everything's coming together. You guys are making an Elite Eight run. You're winning games against huge schools. Did you have a time during games to kind of take it all in, or was it all business? Uh, 
A little bit of both. I mean, on the court, it was definitely all business, obviously. And, and my coach is incredible at keeping us grounded. And uh, I think that's one of the things you see, like, the successful teams really have coaches that know what they're doing. They've been there before. They, they don't let you get too high. They keep you focused. Um, but at the same time, when we went into that second weekend, the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, that's when, like, it kind of hit, hit us a little bit more because – uh, we played in Ford at Ford Field, which was sick. It was just giant football stadium with this tiny wow. court in the middle. Um, so, like, just being in that atmosphere was different than anything we experienced before. And then it was cool because we stayed uh, in a really, really cool and old, like, like uh, I don't even know how old it was, but it was just a historic hotel in, in Detroit. And we had these police, police escorts to get to the arena and get to the games and practices. And that's when I think it really started to build. And I, I don't think Steph made his really his national name until this tournament so after the first weekend his hype was really building and everyone wanted to see him play and and it was just that so that's really the first time that that sweet 16 elite eight weekend where it was really building up and you kind of thought about it outside of basketball and i'm glad you brought up that period of time between the first weekend the round of 64 and 32 and then the sweet 16 and elite eight because that's where we are right now as we sit here recording this podcast which is the sports blog new york podcast Find an iTunes by searching that exact term. We're sitting here with another day to, or two to go, depending on when you're listening, to the Sweet 16. What was it like having that time off? And if you could put it in perspective for the South Carolinas, the Xaviers, even the Michigans uh, of the world who are the underseeded teams now, what are, they, what are they going through? What are they experiencing now with these weird days off, this weird amount of time where they're going to have to play one of the biggest games of their lives in a couple days are they, in, are they in class? No. Come, wait, I don't I'm know. I'm just saying. No. <laughs> um, most schools probably not. Okay. And I, I don't know. I mean, it's some some might have spring break too, so it kind of – I think we even had uh, Easter break one weekend, so we didn't have uh, class like Monday and Tuesday or something anyway. But um, yeah, I guess it just depends on the situation. Yeah, it's but, like what are those teams going through now? Yeah, so I, I guess it is a mix between um, recovery and preparation, physical recovery especially because – the team like uh, uh, like Carolina, like they played deep into okay, whoever like played deep into their conference tournament championship or whatever semifinal championship. Michigan, Michigan, Michigan. They only had what three or four days in between their first first round game, so then they played another two games. I mean, especially after their whole plane incident. Exactly, as well. and exactly. So so basically, it's rest and recovery, but it's preparation for the next opponent. And the good coaches, the really good coaches are the ones that are able to keep the guys focused and just th- treat it as any other game. Now, are you implementing new plays, new strategies, or are you kind of like refining what you know, um, adjusting to what they throw you? Yeah, you're, you're always refining your stuff and preparing your stuff, and, but then it comes down to the individual scouts. Okay. So, and, and that's where even stuff like assistant coaches, um, assistant coaches, and it's different for every program, obviously, but typically assigned to a team or a game so like so some assistant coaches uh, are probably even looking at the elite eight game even though they're not really looking ahead but they have, have to, to be prepared to, yeah, right. right so it's kind of like so many little things go into it like that which which makes it kind of cool but um i think that's where the experience factor really comes in like when you look at someone like tom Izzo, who in the past like may not have had the best teams but somehow he's always always been in the mix like he just has that experience and that know-how and he, he's able to really kind of just keep his team focused and grounded and and in the moment. The final four is always some one or two, maybe three or four, or just coaches everyone knows. Yeah. Exactly. Barely yeah. ever goes this team out of nowhere. So yep. 
and then the day experience is a major, the most important key. It's huge, and, and and the good, you know, the good coaches too. They're they're kind of preaching their same message from the beginning of the year mm-hmm. till now. Enough, it, it all these cliches you could throw out there, but they're they're true. Mm-hmm. Like nothing changes. Like the preparation doesn't change. Um, your actions don't change. It's just you tweak the game plan really. Like a Frank Martin in South Carolina. Yeah. He's, he's been around a while. But he knew what to do when it was Duke. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't intimidated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I heard he him on Mike off. and Mike earlier yeah. uh, earlier this I mean, week. He's confident. I mean, the man just absolutely crushed the interview. He, yeah. He's confident. He's ready to go. He said that he got doused with water in the locker room with his team. And then 30 minutes later, he's in the film room getting ready yeah. for the next game. That's just the grind that the coaches are on. Yeah. Players maybe have a little more time to relax and you know get a breath of fresh air. But next day it's back to business now before we move on and again i'm here with steve rossiter former davidson forward on that elite eight team before we move on um i just want to ask you can you can you tell us a little story like anything that you may know about steph curry the guy like the, the person that you know that we don't exclusive maybe uh, exclusive. we don't have, we don't have to make it like that <laughs> but just anything like a little story that you, you can kind of show to highlight the type of person he is because i've talked to you off air and you really do speak highly of the, the man, Steph Curry, and, and the guy that he's a fun person. So uh, if you just have a little, little tidbit, a little story, uh, what do you got to yeah, say? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to think of a specific, but um, I think it's because – I think people after his MVP run and or runs and championship run a couple years ago, I think people almost got sick of like how much people say how good of a guy he is. I, I, we get that now. People from my like, group chat say – they're sick of him, and I'm like, yo, like, two years ago, you were loving him. Like, yeah. But see, once I, you're at the top, you get you get uh, tweaked on. You definitely, exactly. When you're at the top, everyone's coming at you. Yep. Uh, but at the same time, it, it it's it's the media's fault. Like they just any story they could run with about how he's a good guy or a good family guy, like the whole Riley Carey thing. Like like the media ended up kind of putting him into a negative. They build you up place. to tear you down. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and thing about him though, like I can honestly say that. And as as cliche as it sounds, like everything that you hear about him, that's good is is true. Like mm-hmm. it, he's just one of the best people I've ever met, and um, he he goes out of his way to not be treated special, and like he just does. Like uh, for example, like in practice, he would he would make sure that he was on the floor for loose balls, like even if it was like a ridiculous like walkthrough or something. Like he just always makes sure he doesn't get treated special or differently. Um, than anyone else and and I, I like it's like we're saying it's it's been beaten to the ground but it, everything you hear about him that's good is is true um and it's, it sounds boring and it's like <laughs> but he, and he's also like just a fun guy and a great teammate um he's just just a normal dude i mean you're hearing it from a, a man who played and made a, a, a pretty awesome run with the with the guy so you, you know him for years you've known him now since not only from college, but since then you still see him, you still talk to him. Uh, so you're hearing it from from Steve Rosser, former Davidson forward, former teammate of his. And you know, just from my perspective as a basketball fan, my favorite time to watch him is when he is out there, you know, giving a shimmy, maybe you know, having some fun with the crowd, and that's when he's the most fun. And obviously, once you get on top, people are going to start to to bring you down. That happened with the whole Warriors team, yeah. and you're seeing it with you know Clay. Draymond was a little different story, but, you know, the whole team, they're kind of running into that. So hopefully he goes back to having fun. I think they're poised for a run, whether KD is there or not. But that's a that's a different topic for a different day. When you come back on the pod maybe in a little sure. while, we'll talk and I'll, I'll, NBA playoffs. If I, don't have, if I don't think of a good story before tonight's over, I'll have one for next okay. time. So. Ah, sounds good. Um, how about before we move on to talk about the upcoming Sweet 16 of this year, you want to give a little shout-out to your brother, how he's doing. He's playing overseas right now. Yeah. He's, uh, what's, uh, what's he up to? He's good, man. He um, 
And that's, so his name's played, Ryan, by the way. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan Rosser. Rosser. He played at Siena. Uh, so he's um, he's been out of college for, this is his sixth professional season. Played a year in France, played a year in the D-League, uh, and this is his fourth year in Japan in the Japanese Basketball League. He's actually the uh, reigning MVP of the league, won the MVP last year, uh, was selected to his first All-Star game this year, and uh, his team's in uh, first or second right now. They're in the running. Um, so, yeah, he's doing he's, – man, he's basically lives in Japan 10 months out of the year. Um, and it's, it's a good league. It's it's yeah. not like a you know Euro League or anything, obviously, like that, but it's he's got nothing but good things to say about the country and the people. He's good time. Yeah, he's you know it gets I guess anywhere you are in a foreign country if you don't have a family like it gets a little lonely, mm-hmm. but um, Japan is one of those places where it seems like they do everything right. There's like no crime. Like yeah. uh, he doesn't have to worry about getting paid on time, which is a concern of a lot of guys in countries like Greece or really? other European countries with bad economies. Like everything. <laughs> we'll everything Japan. that he yeah. We play Japan in the background. The World Baseball Classic. Oh, first, yeah. first pitch. Getting the guy in Japanese picture, but yeah. But um, but yeah, he's doing well. So thanks for uh, oh yeah, of course, man, and, and good for him for you know he's he's experienced in different countries in the world. You already said he played a year in France and he was back in the D League. Now he's in Japan. He's experienced in the world, getting to play a game that he loves, make a little money, and ha- have some fun doing it. So good exactly. for him. Shout out to Ryan Rossiter, Sienna, Sienna grad. I have uh, one final question before we bring Joe in. Now um, this year, really no Cinderella. Maybe South Carolina to advance one more round. Like last year, Florida Gulf Coast. You, uh, since you um you end in college, any team that reminds you of your team? You want to say, oh, oh, the Cinderella team, but you were a true Cinderella. Man. You and George Mason come to mind. Yeah. But any team you can think of, like, oh, maybe they can make it. Maybe they can make that run like we did. Uh, I don't see. I think I think especially going into the Sweet Sixteen weekend, um, I think the seeds kind of go out the window, and it's, okay. it's like whoever is hot on that day really mm-hmm. and you don't you can't necessarily even carry it through like the tournament like maybe like Kemba Walker like that year was just nuts but I think uh, like, like he's, you he's saw, UConn like, you know what I'm saying like somebody that, yeah, yeah yeah for sure but I'm just speaking like in general about I think it's like at any given day type of thing like we saw uh, like this weekend Wichita and Kentucky like I thought that or I was I was, I was pulling for Wichita as, as an underdog obviously like Rhode, Rhode, Island, Rhode Island Rhode Island yeah, yeah. um but, I mean, who's left? I, I don't really know. Um, I mean, if you look at the seeds, I would like Xavier's an 11, but they're an incredible 11. Mm-hmm. So I don't look at them as yeah. anything like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, well, we're going to get into it, too. So we're going to get into the rest of the tournament that's coming up. we got Sweet 16 picks. We're going to break it down game by game, making our Elite Eight, Final Four, and so on. Uh, but again, this is a Sports Blog New York podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. I'm joined here with Steve Rossiter and Phil DeMeo. And in just a moment, I'm going to bring in one more guest. But I also want to remind you that this podcast is on iTunes. So you can search that by searching Sports Blog New York podcast or go to sportsblognewyork.com. Click on the podcast tab and then just click on the link that says iTunes and it brings you right there. Maybe subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review. And if, especially if you like what you hear. <clears throat> but now I'm going to bring, out, bring on, without further ado... The man who wrote one of the best NCAA preview articles out there, even though his bracket may be a tad busted. Sorry to throw shade, but I'm here with Joe Calabrese. Joe, what's up, man? Welcome to the pot. Yeah, I was going to say, you're uh, you're buttering me up, and then, yeah. You, you built me up, and then you tore me down. Just like, uh, just like the media is doing to Steph Curry. You deserve the same treatment. You know what? You got a lot of praise because you wrote a great article, and I got to tear you down because... 
Miami lost in the first round. <laughs> right, but then then again, Villanova also lost in the second round, so it that, kind of kind of evens out, right? That's true. You you were right on that one, so I'll give you that. Uh, but we'll get into it, and we still have Steve Rosser here. He's ex Davidson forward, but now he's also just college basketball connoisseur, as well as Joe Calabrese and Phil DeMeo still hanging out. So let's uh, let's do some first weekend observations, Joe. I'm going to go to you first because. You know, you've been you've been over here waiting, chomping at the bit to talk about this upcoming week. Yeah. So, what what were some of your first weekend observations that really popped out to you? Uh, first of all, I totally jinxed the ACC, very bad. Here I am for the last couple of weeks touting how amazing of a conference they are, and they were during the regular season. They were one of the better conferences, probably in the history of college basketball. There were so many quality teams, but I think what might have happened is that the quality of playing each other over the course of the season may have drained a bunch of these teams more so than people initially thought. Like if you look at a team like Louisville who had the lead in their game against Michigan for a good portion of the game, they kind of fell flat at the end. They made very stupid mistakes and Michigan kind of wore them down and Louisville's got the size and more of the strength up front and you wouldn't expect them to be worn down. Then you look at a game like Virginia and Florida. Ugh. Virginia. That game was gross. <laughs> it was very gross. And we saw uh, we saw your man Parentes have a really, really good game against UNC Wilmington. Not so much against Florida. Oh, not they at all. They didn't just lose against Florida. They got blown out. And Florida's not really the, the, this offensive juggernaut that they were, that they showed in, this, in that game. So that's just two off the top of my head. And obviously, we could talk about South Carolina and Duke. Probably for the, the rest of the podcast. Oh, and I'm sure they will come up. It will. I think a lot of people bought into Duke very early. A lot of immature stuff happened during the regular season. They had a, a small run there for January without Coach K. Kind of had to get it back all together at the very end. And they made a run in the ACC tournament, which was awesome. And they were the very first team to win four games in four days. But I think that short window kind of clouded the minds of a lot of people. A lot of people overlooked what they were during the regular season, which was a good yet inconsistent young team. And our podcast buddy, Mr. Joe Staubach, he compared this Duke team to the Duke team with Jabari Parker that lost to Lehigh, I believe it was 2012 or 13. And I honestly was, uh, it was, no, I believe it was 13-14. Yeah, it was a 13-14. Because Parker was in the Wiggins draft, which is 14 draft. Okay. So, yeah. it, I, I apologize for not knowing you off the top of my head, but it was, it was a very good comparison. Very similar types of teams, similarly built. And so, yeah, like I said, that ACC run really kind of got everybody back on the Duke train, even though there were the signs there that everybody kind of missed. That and they also played the game in Greenville, South Carolina, which was 90 minutes from the South Carolina. Hey, I want to bring that up because when we talked, essentially, it was essentially a home game for the Gamecocks. I brought that up to you, and you said to me, "You'd be surprised how the Duke fan base travels." But I was like, "But the game's in South Carolina." So (laughs) what ended up happening is the Carolina, the North Carolina fans traveled, the South Carolina fans traveled, and North Carolina had played the game previously on that court, and then Duke and South Carolina came out, and apparently there were. Some NC fans still in the in the attendance rooting against Duke. Oh wow! So it ended up working against Duke. Interesting. They right. essentially played a road game, and they were up seven at the half. So no excuses. They gave up sixty five points in the second half to South Carolina. 
the most the Gamecocks had ever scored in a half in program history, the most a team has allowed in a single half uh, uh, under a, uh, a Mike Krzyzewski coached team. Yeah, so that, so that was crazy. And Sandarius Thornwell, shout out to him. He was the SEC Player of the Year. Oh yeah, I mean the guys. Are and stunning. I was, I was, I'm a big fan of Frank Martin. I love Frank Martin when he was in Kansas State. He made that elite eight run the year that Duke and Butler played in the title game in 2010. He he's a coach who has a known track record of getting the most out of talent. So South Carolina was a team I like really liked during the regular season. I I liked them even when they played without Thornwell, who was injured towards the beginning. The ACC, I mean, like. I was I was they, so they high on up. them. They beat I themselves was so up. high on them, and I was even giving Syracuse love. Remember that last podcast? I was like, I they should have been in it until the very very end. Wake Forest lost in the very first game. The only team the ACC has left is North Carolina. Yeah, how crazy is that? In the only bracket that's chalk. Right, we got three Big Twelve teams left. We got three Pac twelve teams left, and we've got three one more. I'm thinking the Big Ten. They got yeah. those three conferences have three teams left. ACC only has one team left. You would have never have said that a month ago. That is true. So maybe that. the ACC wore itself out. But let's hop over to you, Steve. So you watched the first weekend as well. What were some of your quick observations before we get into what's up to come? Well, I think that uh, the Duke game is a perfect uh, example of the given night thing, which is what makes this tournament one of the most exciting things. One of the most exciting sporting events of the year is because on any given night, any team can win. You know, maybe if it's a best of seven, Duke wins at 4-1. You know, if after that first game, Absolutely. maybe not. But I, I agree that Duke could have been a little overrated. I think uh, Grayson Allen's antics are kind of like um, representative of that team as a whole. Just kind of inconsistent, talented, a little uh, too crazy to kind of really get behind and and be consistent. Really, uh, when it matters exactly. most. Exactly. So I think uh, I think that that. Any given day thing is so exciting, and, and we've seen a little bit of that. Um, I, uh, you know, I guess I don't, I don't really know. I mean, a couple. I'm not the type of guy that's predicting. You know, thinks he knows what he's talking about. I just kind of enjoy the games for what they are. So there's definitely a lot of exciting games this weekend. A lot of end of the wire finishes. I, w- I wish the uh, Wichita would have had a. Better possessions the last two. Yeah, um, the guy Shamat, uh, who was playing awesome, he the carried whole game. the team. It's, it's a shame. He he, not that he tried to hero ball the last play because I don't think that's the case. The play prior, somebody else kind of got tangled up, lost the ball, and he wanted to be the guy. You could tell that he yeah. wanted to be the guy that made it or broke it. For and that he team. was the guy though the whole game. And he so was. You can't fault him because he he literally kept him in the game and put them in the position to win it. Um, but I wish they would have got off some clean looks and and. Uh, yeah, you know, that that's one of my underdogs. I was definitely rooting for, but it was just an exciting first weekend, especially the second second two days. How, how did you feel when the Vanderbilt foul? How did you feel for that kid? Oh, uh, when he uh, yeah, that was a rough. To, to, to break, yeah, break down that situation before we talk about it. So uh, Vanderbilt had just taken the lead to go up by one. Player on the team was unsure and thought they were down by one or whatever happened. He ended up intentionally fouling, putting the opposing team on the line. Double bonus, which just put them in the lead, and Vanderbilt ended up losing the game. What can you speak to? Like, I'm not saying you had a situation that happened to you like that. Maybe one of your teammates. Like, what do you think that kid went through after that? I don't know. During I, and after, like, I, I, you know, you, I think you think to some of those college football kickers that get death threats and uh, if they miss a field goal, yeah, it's to, crazy to lose the game or something. And I don't know. I'm hoping he didn't experience any of that. But there's some crazy people out there. So yeah, who knows? But uh, yeah, I mean, you just feel horrible. And and the biggest thing is that you can you can have all the media pressure and people calling you an idiot and everyone on the internet going crazy but 
um, just, you know, seeing your teammates and knowing you let them down and knowing that they probably are supporting you through it too because they, they you know, I don't know about their situation, but um, they, I'm sure if it's a good team, they're, they're definitely got his back and stuff. But it's, it's just that's got to be the toughest thing is, is yeah. knowing you did one thing that really changed the course of the game. Oof, yeah, it was a brutal one for uh, Vanderbilt. But anyway, let's move on to talk about the upcoming games. And just before we talk about specifics, I'll break it down. We got Wisconsin, Florida, Baylor versus South Carolina in the east. Then we also have Gonzaga, West Virginia, and Xavier, Arizona in the west. In the midwest, we have Kansas, Purdue, Oregon and Michigan, and then down in the south, we got the only chalk bracket there is UNC Butler, UCLA, and Kentucky. So is it fair to say, I'll have to say a quick consensus for everybody, that UCLA-Kentucky is the most hyped game for this upcoming week? Yeah. yeah That's pretty sure. pretty fair? Yeah, that is very fair. All right, so let's talk about that one. So that, that one's the, one of the most hyped. Let's talk about it. Uh, first first off, let's go, Steve, I'll go to you. Some of these guys in this game are so high profile that no matter who loses, there's going to be – Five first round picks in this game. What what do you think that means to the game? Do you think that means anything? Who do you think comes out on top? Man, uh, well they played earlier. They played each other earlier this season. And UCLA won, right? Yes, UCLA UCLA beat them. I think, uh, and if I remember, I think Malik Monk had a over forty points that game. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I think. Um. It's a toss-up. I mean, I'm not going to pretend I know the answer to that, but it's going to be an incredible. What, what game. are you looking forward to to watching that game? Uh I think just the talent, the talent, because like you see, when Wichita was hanging close with Kentucky, there was times when Kentucky guys could just turn it on and and just dominate. And I think even though they're going head to head with you know an equally talented group or uh, equally talented team, there's still going to be these flashes of, of brilliance of these future pros that you're talking about. Um, looking to see what Ball does, obviously, and, and see if he really just uh, steps up and lives up to the hype. And because this is obviously the biggest stage that they're playing on all year, um, and I guess it comes down to that whole uh, kind of one and done thing, and see guys that do or don't have experience. Um, what's uh, what's the guard's name for Kentucky? Darren Fox. Fox. Yeah, he he played a great game. He's just he's very impressive. He's just so poised. He showed and off some real athleticism yeah, last game. Absolutely. Pete and I are, we watch tournament. I watch tournament for NBA prospects, and I'm on the Fox change for the next. He, he yeah, he, me. He has the speed. I don't know if he has the shooting, but point guard just needs his whole speed. And he showed up with that dunk on the left side. Yeah. That was, that was explosive in, as hell. Yeah, but he's, he's crafty, he's poised, and, and he really steadied the ship when they need him to. But uh, I don't know, man. I, it's going to be just an incredible game. That is a game that I'm very excited about. Uh, Joe, what do you got on the UCLA Kentucky matchup? Who do you like in the rematch from the regular season? The matchup of guards. It's what well, you giving Bam Adebayo no credit. That guy's a big dog down he there. He is. He is. He is. Um, we got also DJ Leaf too, who's going to be another lottery pick. He's going to probably be picked in the back end of the lottery. There's so much talent in this game. It's it's crazy to think this is a Sweet Sixteen game. This should be like either an Elite Eight, Elite Eight game or a Final Four game. Uh, I'm a big Coach Calipari guy. And I'm a big fan of teams that can slow the game down in the tournament. And what we saw last weekend from both UCLA and Kentucky was that they were able to play a slower game. UCLA played to Cincinnati's pace, and they won the game by double digits. Kentucky kind of had a little bit of a hard time against Wichita State. But then again, Wichita State was underseeded as a 10 seed, 
We've gone through that multiple, multiple times. In this game, I think it's going to come down to which head coach is going to be able to make adjustments in the second half because they're both going to put up 70, 80 points. It's going to be a high-scoring game. Lonzo Ball might be the best player in the game, but I'm going to take Kentucky because I like their overall balance a little bit more. I think they're underrated defensively. I think they have the horses to kind of slow down UCLA a little bit. And while we saw Cincinnati slow them down last week, they didn't have the offense to keep up. So when we saw UCLA open up the game a little bit in the second half, Cincinnati couldn't keep pace. I think Kentucky can play with UCLA up-tempo. I also think they could slow down the game and prevent UCLA from getting uh, started and getting easier baskets in the half court. So I do think this is ultimately going to be the Fox and Monk show versus Ball. So I'm going to take Fox and Monk. You're taking two against yeah, one. Yeah, I was, I was on Kentucky very early in the season. Very upset they got a two and very upset they got matched in this game. But well, I think yeah. it's I think it's very hard to beat the same team twice in a season. You see, we saw it with North Carolina and Duke. They split their regular season matchups, right? Give me Coach Cal. Give me him in the tournament. I, I like Steve Alfred. I think he's a very good coach. I, I don't trust him going against Coach Cal in this game. Well, you know, you said it's a shame that they're playing now, but also you can look at it on the opposite and say – Wow, it's awesome that they're playing now in the Sweet 16 because the winner of this game is going to most likely play UNC. I mean, UNC is going up against Butler. I think, you know, if you think Butler is like should be favorite to win this game, you're out of, you're out of your mind. Obviously, they have a chance, like Steve always says. Any given night, a team can come out Butler's and put out a performance. Them. They got March Magic, man. They, they got, do. Like, Butler has March Magic. They just figured yeah, out. Yeah, I don't think you got any mind if you say they have a shot. I mean, no, I'm not saying they don't have a shot. I'm saying you can't. Look at me. Not a yeah, you can't look at me in the straight face and say, oh, I'm confident Butler's going to win. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So, There's only probably 20 people, and they're all in the locker room. Exactly. And that's where they need to be. It doesn't matter if I say Butler's going to win. Exactly. Because as long as Butler believes it, it's possible. But that's not an exactly interesting matchup to talk about was my main point there. So uh, a lot of people are on UNC. A lot of people have been on them all tournament. They're one of the top picks to make it back to the championship. So we're not going to spend too much time on that game. That is scared all last week. Oh, oh, certainly. Arkansas put up a run for that money, but then UNC turned it up with three and a half minutes left, and they literally shut out Arkansas. It was 65-65. The game ended 72-65. Yep. So when, when it got down to it, Roy Williams and that, and that group, they buckled down and they turned up. Yep. Uh, but let's talk, about, let's talk about the South Carolina team because, you know, we like, we like the underdogs. It's a fun thing to talk about. They are the truest underdog. I know Xavier's an 11, but you said it before, Steve. They're not a true 11. Xavier's a program that is in the tournament year in, year out, it seems. From watching this South Carolina team, Joe or Steve, whoever wants to jump in, or Phil, do you think they have what it takes to make a Final Four? I believe so. Because I think Ladarius Thornwell is the best player remaining in the East Bracket. I'm willing to say that. Wow, right there you now. go. Yeah. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I honestly think he's the best player. And he watching that first weekend of games, first of all, I had South Carolina beating Marquette. I know a lot of people who had Marquette beating South Carolina. A lot of people didn't believe them from round one. They won two games, which is already two games more than a lot of people expected. But what goes a lot, very, unno, uh, very unnoticed is that, and this goes for basketball in general, the tournament itself has become a much more guard-oriented tournament as opposed to a big-man tournament. And you could vouch for this because you saw one of the best guards in the entire world play on your team when this happened, right? 
Yeah. Guards are really, really good guards who can take over a game, and especially at the college level, are very few and far between, right? We saw Kemba Walker. I mean, he literally yeah. won the Big East and the National Championship. Put the team on his yeah. back in he every sense of the term. carried UConn to a title. We've seen this in recent years. Villanova's team from last year, they didn't really have one true standout guard, but they had three or four guys playing with each other at the same time, and they all gelled and got hot at the right time. And the exception is probably Anthony Davis. Yeah, I mean, very, very often. I mean, there are balanced yeah, John teams that win. No, that was with Boogie. I can't. I can't. Uh, but yeah, no, I guess everything gets, gets jumbled up, especially with Kentucky when they're literally one in, one out. I mean, you can Number name big guys there. one, but Hansborough one, Davis one, Okafor one. But then again, they also those had teams to, had balance yeah. and had guards too. Let's talk about Thornwell because he's a guy who's a four-year player in, right. in college. He was the SEC Player of the Year. And remember what team is in the SEC. That's Kentucky. So Malik Monk wasn't the SEC Player of the Year. De'Aaron Fox wasn't. Right. It was this guy, Thornwell, on South Carolina, who people didn't really know until they played Duke. And when you watch this guy play, the thing that impressed me the most is he was poised from start to finish. Right. It didn't look like he even cared they were playing against Duke, one of the most storied college fran- uh, basketball teams in the history of the, of the That's game. That's another thing that goes unnoticed, too. He's a senior. And they got the guy, Silva, who was a freak athlete, and he was making plays. Baylor has won both their games. They handled their first round well. They played tight against USC. I think South Carolina is the most interesting team to watch right. coming into this into this week. And they, how can you put it past them? Them and Michigan, the two teams <laughs> that you know, I, I kind of hated on them early on in the tournament because you know they were they were well, Michigan especially was a really trendy pick, and I guess I was just being stubborn and didn't want to pick them. Well, you know how I felt about that game. You were very high on Derek Wilson Jr. I said the winner of Louisville-Michigan is going to go to the Final Four, and I still believe that. I think that was that was the game. That was the game. So do, so they're, they're showing your cards. You think Michigan's going to take down Oregon? Tyler, yeah, Tyler Dorsey so. put on a Oregon phenomenal struggled, performance. Oregon struggled against Rhode Island. Baylor struggled against USC. Wouldn't you want to take your chances right now with both Michigan and South Carolina to get to the Elite Eight? I feel the same way. Especially line. with Derek, Watt, uh, Derek Walton Jr. and Sidarius Thornwell. You, those are right now the two hottest guards in the country. Is and Thornwell a true guard? Is he like a yeah, do-it-all do it small forward? He's, I, I want to say he's a shooting guard. I mean, he's 6'5", so... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of hard to call him a forward then if he's 6'5". Yeah, six, That's good I wouldn't size, call him but I would call him a guard. He's, he, yeah, he's, he's like a point forward of sorts at some times as well. Um, so we're getting close to the end of this podcast. And again, Steve Rossiter here, ex-Davidson forward. We got Joe Calabrese with us as well and Phil DeMeo. Um, so let's make let's make some picks. I know, Steve, you said making picks is not your thing, but I'm putting you on the spot. All right, what do we got? And I just want, you know, if you have a, a little tidbit to throw in about a game, throw it in there. But let's, let's go through and let's make some picks. So let's start off on the top left in the east bracket. We got Wisconsin-Florida. Joe, who you got? We'll go around. All right. Well, this sucks, and I hate eating crow. It's the worst thing ever because I really blasted Wisconsin this season because they didn't play anybody. But they're gelling at the right time. They got a bunch of seniors. They got Ethan Happ in the middle, who's probably one of the five to ten best players in the country. He can do everything, literally does everything for Wisconsin. I think they're gelling at the right time. I got Wisconsin. I've got South Carolina upsetting Baylor because I think Thornwell is going to have himself another game. I got Wisconsin and South Carolina in the Elite Eight, and I got Wisconsin going to the Final Four. 
Oh. And I hate that. I hate that. If, if Joe was here, he'd be blasting me right now. But I hate it. <laughs> it's tough to say. Yeah. All right. Steve, Wisconsin, Florida. What's your gut say? Wisconsin. Uh, just like Joe said with the seniors, with uh, Koenig and Hayes, they have experience. Um, I feel like they are incredibly proficient at controlling the game. And to a point where it gets boring sometimes, like that Wisconsin-Duke championship from uh, two years ago. Um so I definitely like Wisconsin in that game. And as a guy who beat Wisconsin in a Sweet 16, you have all the right to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds good to me. Um, and then I'm, I'm going to go South Carolina also. I uh, Joe's comments on Frank Martin before, I've, I've heard Frank Martin is a, is a really good dude too, and the players love playing for him. Um, in South Carolina, I feel like it's not like a sexy pick in terms of name. Like it's not like Especially in basketball. If it was exactly. football, a different story. Right. But Frank Martin, I think, will get it done and, and – uh, they they have obviously a bunch of talent as well. Go Cox. Uh, yeah, not much of a <laughs> Cox. Silence after that. But um, <laughs> I think Wisconsin you know, the championship you just said, the Final Four, three sixteen. They've been here the last four years, so it's hard to pick against them. I might pick to the Final Four. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so you got Wisconsin and South Carolina, Wisconsin winning. So we're all in Wisconsin and South I mean, Carolina. I, mean, I don't know much about Baylor, but they've been they've been up top ranked team the whole season. So mm-hmm. I mean, I know South Carolina is a good story, but don't. McClure is good. Motley is good on the interior. Motley, uh, the problem with Motley is he gets into foul trouble a lot. Correct. He does. But he also throws down savage dunks. Right. So <laughs> we'll see what prevails. Uh, that's in the East region. Let's hop over to the Midwest. Kansas versus Purdue and Oregon versus Michigan. I mean, Joe, Cal, you already kind of uh, showed your cards on the Michigan-Oregon game. So yes. you could touch on that quick. Yeah. Who you got in Kansas? Because I know you weren't very high on Kansas. I'm, I was not high on Kansas at all. I think they, they, I think they got the right draw. I think Iowa State would have given them a lot of problems because they can shoot lights out. Their guards can rebound. I think with Purdue, going back to the point I just made about Jonathan Motley, Caleb Swanigan can absolutely take control of the game. He's a double-double machine. He can do it all. But he also himself gets into foul trouble. And I, I, think, I think Kansas is not the right matchup for Purdue. They would have been much better with my my upset special that didn't happen. <laughs> but yeah, so I think I think although Purdue's a very good team, I think Kansas moves on. I think Michigan moves on. I think Oregon really struggled against Rhode Island, and I think John Beeline in Michigan is going to draw up the right offensive game plan to to match up with Oregon. So I think in the regional final it's gonna be Kansas and Michigan, and I'm gonna ride Michigan. In, in, in our repick, because I said the winner of the Louisville-Michigan game would go to the Final Four, and I really believe that. I think that that whole plane incident has this team playing in a way that nobody expected. I think it really was the one thing that bonded this team and brought them together, and it's showing on the court. The two Big Ten teams so far. Yeah, and Derek and Wall. I hated the Big Ten this yep. season. How you guys? <laughs> Sucks. And Derek Wall Jr. has been one of the most exciting players. Steve, what do you got in these two games? Yeah, I'm going Michigan. They got God on their side right now. Uh, <laughs> some some divine stuff going on there. And I really do like uh, Beeline as well. Um, uh, and then I'm, I'm going to go – I'm going to go Kansas. I'm going to say the talent – Wins out in the end um, in this game. Uh, I'd see, I see. I think Purdue and, and Wisconsin they both kind of play that uh, Big Ten style of um, hang and bang. Yeah, and <laughs> and I think that'll that might keep it close and, and kind of keep Kansas pound pounded with them. And uh, but I think Kansas will win out in the end. Yeah, I think it comes down to Josh Jackson being the best, the most talented tournament uh, player in that bracket. And you saw him go up against Miles Bridges, who's another lottery pick. 
in the game against Michigan State, and Josh Jackson put on a clinic in the second half. He was scoring in all different facets, turnaround jumpers off the glass, driving to the hoop. He really impressed me. And you got a guy like Frank Mason. I think he can very much so uh, counteract Derek Walton Jr. from Michigan after Kansas beats Purdue and Michigan beats Oregon. I got Kansas in the Final Four. I had him the whole time. Stick with it. How do you feel like the winner of um, Oregon and Michigan go to the Final Four, no matter what? Yeah, so you, so you don't think Kansas? I don't just feel like both those teams have like chip, chip in their shoulder, especially Michigan. So I feel like if they get over that hump, they're, they're confident against Kansas. It feels like I'm now. All right, let's hop down to the West. Gonzaga is a team that everybody loves to hate, yet they've had a very simple road so far uh, to get to West Virginia in the Sweet 16. Granted, the game against Northwestern was closer than maybe it seems after it was 79-73. But we got Gonzaga versus West Virginia, and then Xavier 11 seed versus 2 Arizona. Uh, Joe Cal, what do you like in this bracket? I've been on Arizona for a long time. I love Sean Miller. And you know I love the talent on this team. You know I love Alonzo Trier. I love Laurie Markkinen. I think he's going to be a stud. I think he should be a top five or six pick in the draft. You're next. <laughs> no, no. How are you going to play Markkinen and Porzingis together? They're the same play. Make it work. Um, that said, I think I said on this last podcast that this Gonzaga team was for real. And I still believe that. And I think West Virginia kind of got the benefit of some really good shooting performances in the first two games. I don't think they're that capable on offense. They play that tough full-court press style that Bob Huggins is used to, but I think Gonzaga is too efficient offensively and defensively. I think they get to the Elite Eight, so I'm going to take Chalk here. I think Sean Miller is going to beat his former team, Xavier, fairly easily. They're under. They're a little underhanded without Sumner, and very shockingly that they got here. So mm. that is a testament to... The depth of the Big East, even though the quality at the top wasn't necessarily showing this year. And, yeah, so I got Gonzaga in Arizona, and I've got Arizona. I'm sticking by it with that. Maybe nice. my only correct pick. Steve, have you ever played West Virginia in your career? Yeah, we actually uh, had a really crazy game with them at the Garden. Really? Um, Steph put on a show at the end. I think he scored, like, 12 points in a couple minutes to finish, Foreshadowing. finish it off. <laughs> that was one of West Virginia's really good teams, too. It had, uh, I don't even remember, but they had, like, Five guys on the court at all times. It seemed to be like six nine that could shoot and run and, and press. Yeah, it was insane. So what was it like playing against that that style, that press? It, press was, it was very challenging. Uh, it took a while to figure out. And the hardest thing too is our offense um, tended to struggle against teams that would switch everything on defense. And they they had like I said the same five guys that could just do whatever, and they were able to switch on. It didn't matter if it was a big man and a point guard. Like whatever screen happened, they were able to. Just switch it, and it was just a nightmare to play against. Beauty of the internet, you um didn't have your best game this game. No, you went over one with one point and six rebounds. That's a good game for me, actually. <laughs> uh, Steph had, had 20, six boards. Yeah, Steph Can't had twenty seven. Loved to have fifteen. Allison had ten, and they had um, D Butler, Deshaun Butler. Yeah. Uh, Ebanks. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember, I remember him. Yeah. Flowers, I think, and yeah, that that was a good West Virginia team. But I, I like Gonzaga. Yeah, so who do you like, though? Who do you like? I like Gonzaga. I think, uh, I think, like you said, people love to hate them. But everyone's saying this is Mark Few's best team. I, I don't know necessarily if that's true. But I think um, I like Gonzaga, and I'm going to go with the upset Xavier over Arizona. Nice. No offense to Ryan. Joe. Uh, I think Xavier's hot right now. And uh, I don't know. I, I feel like. Even without Sunday, huh? Well, Trayvon Blewett has you're, been You're going to ride on. Trayvon Blewett? He's, he had a really good first weekend. I think so. Yeah. That's what I'm feeling right now in the gut. 
Sweet. I mean, I'm going, I'm going chalk here as well. I have been off West Virginia, and they kept proving me wrong, so they'll probably do it again. But I'm sticking <laughs> on Gonzaga, and I have Arizona as my winner since day one of this tournament coming out. So I, I can't pick Xavier. Like, that's just wrong, right? So I have to stick with Arizona, but I like them anyway. Um, they struggled a little bit at times in their, in their last matchup against St. Mar- uh, Mary's. I think it's a wake-up call for them. I think they realize they played too tight. They're going to have time to get this practice time, like you talked about, these three days here. Just get some practice time in, get some rest in. You know, they're guys who have been around before. St. Mary's is a solid team, too. Yeah, St. Mary's is a solid team as well. So I think Arizona will loosen up, play better. Lori Markin will come out strong. I got Arizona, Gonzaga, Arizona going to the Final Four. All right, last last region. Uh, we talked about this one already? You skipped me, but I'll, I'll do a – Oh, I did skip one, you. next one, but Sorry, my Phil. final was Arizona versus Kentucky, so – I get you two for one. I think Arizona comes out of that bracket. Kentucky, you mean the finals? And that actually was the last region. So uh, the consensus from us, uh, a lot of us like Arizona. Steve likes Xavier is the big upset down there in the bottom left region. Uh, also, we're really looking forward to that UCLA and Kentucky game. We didn't even pick the North Carolina Butler game, did we? No, we just That's all the, we just, we just uh, assumed. We talked about that first though to start off the thing. Yeah. I'm still riding North Carolina. So let's make your picks quick. Yeah. I'm still riding North Carolina, North Carolina, Kentucky, North Carolina in the Final Four. Butler. Just just to be there. (laughs) All right. When we get get you back on, maybe you'll be the right one. You can tell us all that we're dumb. (laughs) And, Phil, what's your pick on that last one? You said you have – I have Arizona Kentucky in the championship, so right now. Got a lot of good games to look forward to. Steve, thanks so much for coming on the pod, though. We look forward to having you back. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Recurring guests, maybe. Of course. We, we <laughs> hope so. Guests. So I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Again, you can find it on sportsblognewyork.com. Click the podcast tab. Click any of those articles, and that will lead you any which direction you need. Straight to SoundCloud, onto iTunes, which where where you can subscribe, rate, and review. And also follow our Twitter at SportsBlogNYC. My name is Peter Kennedy. I'm Joe Calabrese. Special guest, not so special, Steve Rosser. Very special. Phil DeMeo. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. Enjoy the tourney.